And if it's Mondays, it is Mayor's Monday on WHMP and Talk the Talk. Welcome to the show. I'm Bill Newman. I'm Buzz Eisenberg. And we welcome to the show the mayor of Holyoke, Joshua Garcia. Mr. Mayor, thank you so much for being with us. A lot in the news about Holyoke. And I'd like to begin by asking you about the new public safety plan, which has been dubbed or used as reference it's called Ezekiel's plan. This is the plan that you put forward after uh, there was that tragic shooting, a random shot that hit a woman eight months pregnant, killed the baby, and you put forward a plan after that to try to combat violence in Holyoke, in your city. Uh, it went before the city council. It was a call for some million dollars additional funding for public safety, and it was rejected by the council. So I would appreciate it if we could get your perspective on what you hope to accomplish and what happens next legislatively and otherwise. Mr. Mayor, talk to us. Thank you so much, Bill, and good morning. And as always, thank you for uh, inviting me back on and participating on your show. As far as the uh, Ezekiel's plan, and just so you're aware, there are a series of uh, uh, quality of life events that were that have taken place before that, leading up to that issue. And since I was elected, there's been so much discourse from uh, the 13 members on the council, advocacy groups in the community, um, and different residents of what is it that we have to do to improve public safety in our community. And, uh, there's this shared vision, this shared uh, goal that we want to achieve, but the strategies to get there um, are are vastly different. And and I think that with the council, because I have 13 different perspectives and personalities uh, in that um, chamber, uh, it's hard to come up with a plan that's going to make them all happy. And I think that that's what happened. You know, we're a compassionate city, but you know, I I try to remind people that. Our commitment to compassion and our work in social justice has to be balanced against our responsibility to provide for the safety and the well-being for all our citizens. And you know, I feel as mayor, um, I have an obligation to address issues around violence, illegal activity, and health and safety disparities that have negative impact on our neighborhoods. Um, and um, I think each of the members on the council get that and understand that and, and have their own ideas. Um, when that issue happened with the um, death of uh, the baby on that on that bus, um, we came up with a comprehensive plan that that wasn't just through one lens. It wasn't. It's not. Let's go and over police our neighborhoods and then that's that. Um, it was a combination of strategies that also included um, housing protection, um, uh, engagement. Um, uh, engaging some sort of form of uh, housing legal counsel for tenants, clearing up blight, you know, continuing to support our work around the flex squad, bringing on a homeless liaison and housing navigator, education and training for employees that are um, part of our enforcement team. And that includes our police officers and our, our building department and our board of health department. So it was a really well thought out comprehensive approach that focuses on several key factors proactive policing, not just reactive, enhanced surveillance, hiring, um, increasing inspectional capacity, 
and engaging in community response efforts. Uh, and like I said, implementing tenant and neighborhood protection strategies and whatever we can to strengthen our efforts for neighborhood outreach and engagement. That was the plan. And what? because we have 13 personalities on our council that don't agree to one or the other approach, you know, it, 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 I think that that's why it died. And, you know, there was some talk on the council uh, misinterpretation and misguide, uh, misrepresentation of what this plan um, includes. Uh, there was a lot of um, uh, passionate discourse that wasn't necessarily reflective on what this plan does. And I think it just went downhill from there. I needed a uh, super majority, nine votes of the 13 councilors that are there. Um, I was too shy from those nine to get this plan passed through. Explain to us, those of us who don't live in Holyoke, why is a supermajority of nine needed in order to pass as a spending bill? Uh, it's a, when, so it was the, the funding strategy was for appropriation. And when you're, um, when you're voting on uh, appropriating through taxation, um, you need that supermajority vote. Now, there has been uh, criticism of the plan as being engaged or too heavily invested in policing, uh, what you've just described as over-policing. And I'm wondering if you could uh, break down for us what yep. that what that means in Holyoke and whether you see yourself as being sensitive to that idea that the city shouldn't be over police. What say you to that? So the concern on the council from some members was over policing. This plan does not over police anything. Right now we have a city with a police department that's, and we've learned this through the audit, severely understaffed and under-resourced. So we're, we're not even, we fund just enough to react when you need um, uh, when you need a police officer to show up, you call 911, an officer will show up. We don't do enough to be proactive. We're talking about community policing, uh, bike patrol, foot patrol. Um, uh, there was a lot of talk you've heard on the news, counselors concerned about the lack of traffic patrolling. Uh, we don't do that because the, the, the officers that we have on a shift are going to calls, not pulling people over that are speeding, um, you know, there was a lot of concern, broad daylight of active drug dealing, open air drug dealing, open air shooting up and, and no one, no one doing anything about it. Um, and I think, you know, these are symptoms of a, of a bigger problem. And that problem is that our enforcement, um, is not adequate at all for proactive preventative policing. Um, so there was originally when we presented the plan, we had the idea of bringing on board 13 new officers. And at that first meeting of the council, there was concern about not being able to sustain that. And I shared that concern and um, leveled and completely agreed. So we went back to the drawing table and came up with a, a different strategy to uh, get us to our 95. We budget for 95 officers, but we're never at the 95. We're always hovering around 87-ish. Um, uh, for various reasons that that limit us to get to that 95 but casting our net much wider 
than what we're uh, able so that we can get closer to our 95. Um, so this, you know, over over policing, if anything, what we're trying to do is do the things that the counselors have been asking that the community, more importantly than the council, that the people downtown have been asking for. Foot patrol, bike patrol, traffic um, uh, uh, patrolling, uh, community policing, um, and also establishing uh, our own internal task force um, that's focused on um, uh, tackling those those spots that we know are high high visibility crime areas, um, and then also bringing on board a crime analyst to to be able to uh, uh, evaluate the available data and be able to position our uh, tactics and our and our resources where we need to to be sure that we're tackling the issues uh, effectively. But this is not just policing. We're talking about creating a uh, community response division from the mayor's office that would be three staffs. Uh, one was a homeless liaison housing navigator and the other two would be essentially case workers that would be the response division that residents can communicate with when there's any quality of life issues to help navigate our internal depart department system to, to better uh, respond to issues before they actually become bigger problems and issues and avoid displacement. So it's, you know, policing is there is to, the infusion, the $1 million infusion, just put it this way, is to jumpstart initiatives. It's not to over police, overreact anything. It's to take all the best practices that I've heard from neighbor to neighbor, that I've heard from city councilors, that I've heard from the community, and also uh, different law enforcement, um, uh, you know, organizations that that better respond to quality of life and helps improve um, outcomes in the community. Mayor Garcia, I want to make sure I, I heard you correctly. Did you say that one of the concerns for the about the plan was that it wouldn't be sustainable, that that million dollars wouldn't be there going forward, and that was part of the motivation for going back and redrawing the plan? That was one of the misrepresentations from a certain counselor, a, num a handful of them that that um, that think that the sky is falling. Uh, the the one unsustainable piece I would say, which we scrapped and and re-strategize on, was bringing on 13 officers. Because you're right, once the funding source runs out, I have to sustain those 13 cops through appropriation. And you're looking about an extra, I don't know, maybe 800,000 into the budget just for those. So we scrapped that idea. We're not doing it. Um, everything else. There is a um, fund. There, there is a plan to sustain what we're trying to do there, and some of them are just one-time things. Um, so, for the for the work that I described regarding community response division out of the mayor's office, we're looking at leveraging the opioid funding source that communities are getting everywhere um, to to sustain that work once we've jump started it. So that's there's a there's a plan for that. Um, the uh, everything else is just like just one time you know let's do this with it let's let's initiate these within this 12 month period and then once the funding source goes away you know that's that so it's not i no it's not that i need a million dollars a year to sustain everything on this plan it's to jumpstart initiatives that have plans to sustain them beyond that grant 
uh, beyond that funding period. Uh, one aspect of the plan, as I understand it, had to do with uh, surveillance, uh, uh, use yes. of cameras. And I would appreciate your your uh, explaining that to us. And in particular this, that one of the, uh, I think, lessons that came from Springfield using cameras and is certainly the result or the uh, uh, consequence of the in London, which is the most uh, uh, surveilled city, well, certainly in the in the uh, Western countries, um, is that surveillance doesn't really stop crimes; it, it moves crime. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are about surveillance and how it would work in Holyoke if that part of this plan is adopted by the council. That that. Well, you made an interesting comment, period, right? Like the work that we do, is it going to eliminate the, the the behavior or is it going to move it? We're talking about issues of the country. Like I, there's all, you know, gun, gun violence, access to guns, um, you know, smuggling of drugs, uh, mental health issues, housing issues. You know, these are things that myself in a local government can't resolve it's an uphill battle so i have to do what i can to be sure that the citizens of holyoke know and understand that i am doing everything in my power to look out for their safety and i might not be able to eliminate the issue but can i prevent them can i um uh you know can i introduce preventative ideas that helps de-escalate the concerns from happening or move it out of my city um, it's not eliminating the problem because it's bringing the problem somewhere else, but I have a responsibility to the citizens of Hoyoke. And so the camera system, which that did pass, that was the funding source we used, we introduced for that was money we have in our capital stabilization and the council supported that, so that's coming. Um, and what that's gonna do is, um, of the camera systems we have citywide, only two of them work. So it's going to replace all the outdated ones and it's going to add 10 new ones. Um, and, you know, again, like we're not, it's, I'm not putting these cameras up at all thinking that this is going to stop behavior, um, but it's another tool that our department can use to be sure that we're, we're targeting, we're going to where the problem is. So if there's, uh, I don't know, an issue, let's say a drive-by shooting, um, we'll at least know the trajectory or direction that's going or the color of the view or whatever, you know what I mean? So it's, it's just another tool we can leverage to help, um, uh, you know, be proactive in our work and not just wait till it happens and then figure it out and solve them later with whatever is available. Is there anything now going back to the council, any part of this plan, or is the council done with its work? That's the big question right now. So without explaining too much, but uh, through the rules, the council, I needed that super majority vote, but it was tabled for reconsideration. And from what was explained to me was that when it's tabled to reconsider that it comes up at the next meeting and all I need is seven votes. And I've been debating all weekend we have a special meeting coming up this Thursday to set the tax rate. And this plan would have to be approved before setting the tax rate um, in order you know, for it to support the, the current strategy that I put forward. And I've been struggling all weekend, Bill, to 
you know, should I should I do it? Because I do have the seven votes. Um, or should I just, you know, pick and choose my battles here, take a step back? Um, and, and every time I, I, I feel like stepping back and just kind of rethinking, it's going to be more time. But the people of downtown are built. When you when you when you hear the public safety issues that we see and hear about in Holyoke is a reflection of 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 the priorities of the local government. And uh, I think that that vote showed that downtown safety is not a priority um, for uh, um, the, the people at large. This is the rhetoric that tax taxes are going up and the people I that I quote unquote represent don't can't afford more money and, and what so it's it to me that translates you don't live down the people that live downtown don't afford um, uh, you know doesn't have anything to do with the people that live downtown so people who don't live downtown I mean, the people downtown public safety is not a concern where we feel bad this bus issue happened with the baby but hey look too much money uh, that that's that is rhetoric discourse um, that um, has no place in how I manage because the way I look at it is no matter what corner you live in the city, everyone should have and feel just as safe as anywhere else. And that's the wrong message we want to send to um, people anywhere in this city. And so, you know, I struggle. I'm going to make a decision probably within the next hour or so of whether or not I'm going to put that on the agenda. And if I do, Bill, pay attention. You can expect discourse on Thursday um, uh, and see whether or not this will pass. We are speaking with Holyoke Mayor Joshua Garcia. This is Mayor's Monday on Talk the Talk and WHMP. We'll be back with more from the mayor right after this. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Find local news and local talk for the Valley. It wasn't necessary and it probably wasn't even appropriate on the one hand. I don't want that to sound like I don't support schools. I have a long history of supporting schools, certainly longer than any one of those city councilors. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 1015 and 1400 WHMP, news, information, and the arts. You've been miserable with joint pain for so long. You want and deserve relief, but you just keep putting off that call to QC Kinetics. Okay, now's the time. Listen up. QC Kinetics is rolling out something huge for the first time ever. It's a voucher for $500 off your first joint pain treatment. That's right, $500 off. Whether it's your knees, hips, shoulder, or back, the QC Kinetics voucher applies to any area. But this is a limited time offer, so no more putting off that call. QC Kinetics is the largest regenerative clinic in the country with tens of thousands of satisfied patients who are able to get lasting relief with no surgery, no drugs, and no downtime. So reach out to the team at QC Kinetics today and ask them, how can I get a $500 off voucher? They'll walk you through the steps and get you started on your way to relief. Don't wait. This is a limited time offer. Call for your free consultation today. QC Kinetics, 413-992-5450. That's 413-992-5450. 413-992-5450. Limited time only. Not valid with any other offer. Every time you open your energy bill, you cringe. And with good reason, because you're paying too much. The easy answer is solar. And taking advantage of solar energy with Franklin First Federal Credit Union is easy. 
our solar loan puts solar on the table. And a local expert can show you all the ways it pays to install solar. Visit franklinfirst.org slash solarloans for more details. That's franklinfirst.org slash solarloans. Franklin First Federal Credit Union, federally insured by NCUA. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And on this Mayor's Monday on WHMP and Talk the Talk, we are honored to have with us the Mayor of Holyoke, Joshua Garcia. While we were off the air, Buzz, you posed a question to the mayor. Really good question. I would appreciate it if you could bring the listeners in on that question and this part of our conversation as we focus on crime in Holyoke and the response and the mayor's response to the tragic shooting that took the life of a baby with a woman who is referred to as Selena was eight months pregnant. Buzz, your question to the mayor? Yes, and Mayor, I'm so I'm always so grateful to hear right from the horse's mouth. So thank you so much for always for joining us, and particularly on this tragic but important uh, topic we're discussing. I this morning I was pouring through crime statistics, which I'm not going to bore you or the listeners with. I'm sure that you know them, but Holyoke um, is the the chances of being a victim of a, a violent crime in Holyoke is almost uh, three times as more likely as it is statewide. And in some parts of the United States, it's more than two and a half times as likely. And uh, not uncoincidentally, the rate of poverty and unemployment and similar social problems like homelessness in Holyoke seems to mirror this the, the high crime rate that Holyoke suffers from. So my real question to you, Mayor, is given those the three prongs of Ezekiel's plan, particularly the one that enhances the number of police, the number of cruisers and bike patrols and all of that. Is that really doomed, no matter how much money you put into more policing, as long as those underlying conditions that cause high crime persist, that it will be ineffective? That's my question. Great, great question. And uh, a lot to, um, a lot to definitely... And, uh, unravel here in, in such an incredibly important way. So, first of all, downtown Holyoke, the four census tracts that makes downtown Holyoke, the medium household income, believe this or not, is less than, I believe, $17,000 a year or less than $19,000 a year. So, you know, think of the quality. We've warehoused poverty um, in a segment of the city. Um, and so think of the quality of life challenges that, that come out of that. Um, and, you know, when I think of that issue, the root, you know, what is it that we have to do as a city? I think we have to diversify the available housing. I think, you know, we, we've built so much subsidized and low income housing where now we've created this, this need, um, that's so great because people you know, everybody deserves quality services that has to be paid for. Um, so uh, a lot of what we've been trying to work on is advocate for uh, workforce housing and market rate housing. I know the governor's administration has been doing a lot to try to um, uh, release or has released a housing bill to be able to um, to allow gateway cities to to kind of you know diversify their housing projects rather than just focus solely on severely low uh, income uh, type projects. So we need more mixed income uh, in our downtown. 
The other issue here um, uh, is represent is our government system of representation, uh, our voting system. So you know that um, where there's poverty, you have low voter turnout traditionally. And so that goes back to my earlier point before we went on break. We have inadequate representation uh, on our city council of um, the people downtown. Um, uh, the, we have seven wards in the city of Holyoke and the seven wards, unfortunately, they're, they're broken down by income. And those wards that are lowest in income are predominantly people of color, well, and Latino, mostly Latino. And when I was knocking on doors, when I first ran for mayor, the focus, the strategy for me during the primaries was knock only on the doors downtown. Okay, I did that. And I learned a complete opposite of what I thought people were going to say. People weren't telling me, we're afraid of police, please help us. They were telling me, where are the police? Nobody cares. Nobody's doing nothing. And I heard that, and that changed my whole perception on the issue and how I want to tackle downtown safety. Um, and so the city of Holyoke, like I said, is a compassionate city. We have so much proactive um, social service level work um, from what we do in our local government as well as our community partners out in the community. Very non-traditional methods, but our work, that work needs to be balanced with enforcement. The two have to work hand in hand together in order to make um, improve or in order to get the outcome that we were looking for. So when you ask me, is it going to be, you know, ineffective? Um, I think uh, eliminating, de-escalating police presence is what's contributing to the issues that we're seeing today in our neighborhoods. I'm not saying that it's going to solve it. More of it's going to solve it. It's a missing component to the other work that we're doing here in the city. And that those those strategies got to work hand in hand together if we're going to uh, improve outcomes uh, in our neighborhoods. And as I understand it, Mayor, what you are saying in part is that the Holyoke Police Department, as staffed at present, doesn't have bike patrols, doesn't have foot patrols, doesn't really have cruiser patrols, because what the police are engaged in is responding to 911 calls. Is, is that right? So that's what, so, and, and this is the, the core of what's happening here. Um, that a lot of people don't necessarily, from the outside looking in, it sounds, you, you think black and white, but from you come to the inside, it's not black and white. So we fund just enough for, to cover shifts, to respond to calls. So when they're out there, you get your five, six cruisers that are out um, in the field, and each of those got a coverage area. They're covering the area and responding to calls. Um, and in larger cities, healthier, much more efficient communities, not only do they have those officers out there, they have dedicated officers focused solely on traffic patrol. So they're not going, you don't call those guys to go to emergency calls. You call those, those guys are out looking for or um, infractions. Um, so we don't, we don't do that. And when we do do it, um, it's detail work. So that means I have to look for officers that um, are off that want to work overtime to work detail. So that goes to the when I get the question about these officers, sergeants making one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Well, yeah, when you break that down, 
that person has earned that 150,000 doing the things that we've asked them to do because we're not, we don't have the coverage, the level of staffing on a given shift to do it. So we, it converts to overtime. So it's, it's, it's this revolving door, you know, to, to nowhere. And, and it's a really challenging one considering a community like ours with such a constraint budget and the levels uh, of issues, the need is, is very high. So it, it's an uphill battle for a community like Holyoke and, and a police department like the ones we have in Holyoke. So it forces us, us to be as creative as possible with limited resources. And the city of Holyoke has been extremely creative for many years. Um, uh, you know, I feel like it's time we need to catch up a little bit. And that's why I say this one million, it's an infusion to take care of a lot of deferred, call it deferred maintenance, be it will. Um, so. Well, Mayor Garcia, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. I'd point out we only got to the first topic on our list of things to ask you about, but we really, <laughs> we really appreciate this deep dive and really appreciate uh, the greater understanding of how this looks from the seat you are in as the mayor, as the chief executive, as the leader of your city of Holyoke. Thank and, you so much, Bill, Mr. Bill, mayor. Before, before we go, Mayor, you have one hour to make this decision about whether or not you're going to put it once again before the uh, council for Thursday's meeting. What what are you going to do? Well, it's funny you mentioned that because I, I spent the weekend talking to different mentors, different people, and what it comes down to was I was told I'm thinking like a manager because of my former time administrator role. I'm thinking I'm like a manager. If, if, if I take a step back and, and, and um, do what I said, you know, we'll take a step back, we'll pivot in areas and, and find more time, you know. But if I just go and do it, considering my other option here, then, then I'm being the mayor. You know, this is what I need, this is what the people want, and we're gonna do it, um, this, the, despite how divided the council might be. And even though the council might be divided, just understand the majority of the council wants this and the people of downtown Holyoke actually throughout the whole city wants this. Um, and so should I put on my mayor hat and just do it? Um, but potentially risk uh, a frustrating counselors, you know, and when, you know, I need support for other projects in the future, will I get that support because they're frustrated about how I handled. So that's what I'm struggling with. And, um, you know, I'm leaning toward just getting it done because it breaks my heart to see people feeling like their government doesn't care about their safety. Um, but, you know, we'll see. We're going to leave it there. Thank you so much, Mayor Joshua Garcia. Really appreciate your time and insights. Thank you, guys. Merry Christmas. And to you. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. A Northampton man is facing multiple charges after allegedly firing several rounds from an AK-47-styled weapon into his neighbor's house on Wright Avenue. 29-year-old Joshua Martinelli was in Northampton District Court on Friday, where he was held without bail pursuant to the dangerousness statute. None of the four people in the adjoining residence were injured. Martinelli will be back in court on December 14th. On Sunday, the Greenfield Human Rights Commission awarded Gloria Matlock with the 2023 Greenfield Human Rights Award. 
The commission reestablished the annual award in honor of the 75th annual Human Rights Day. Matlock was one of six nominations made to the commission, including Samantha Blanchard, Ang Buxton, Lucinda Brown, Stephanie Goosen-Duclos, and Laureen Flockerzy. An investigation is ongoing after students at Turner's Falls High School and Great Falls Middle School received contaminated chocolate milk from the cafeteria on Friday. Staff reported that although the milk cartons were sealed and had an expiration date of December 25th, they had a clear white liquid with a vinegar odor. The Turner's Falls Fire Department contacted the Massachusetts State Hazmat Response Team to test the contaminated milk. Northfield police engaged in a canine-assisted search Sunday afternoon after a report came in for a suspected stolen, broken-down ATV near Route 142. When police arrived, the operator fled into the woods. Police verified the ATV was stolen from Vermont, and area police departments, along with Mass State Police, set up a perimeter. Irving's canine Ziva tracked the suspect, who was later located and brought to the hospital for a mental health concern. Police say charges are pending. Sports say rain will come to an end this morning, then mostly cloudy and windy this afternoon, highs 42 to 46. Tonight, partly cloudy and breezy, overnight lows 22 to 26, and the outlook for Tuesday, mostly sunny, highs in the lower 40s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP. Pie is like duct tape. It fixes everything. We must have pie, the great playwright David Mamet said. Stress cannot exist in the presence of a pie. So you go to Paul and Elizabeth's. You order a slice of pie. Or you call and order a whole pie. I'll pick it up Saturday. They make cream pies at Paul and Elizabeth's and fruit pies. Whatever's in season. Peach pie in deep summer. Apple in fall. Pie fixes everything. Therefore, Paul and Elizabeth's restaurant is a repair shop inside Thorns in downtown Northampton. When you're going through a tough time and want to talk with someone, talk with an experienced mental health care provider at ServiceNet. Talk therapy, medication management, and other treatment options. ServiceNet therapists and our psychiatry team work together to help you feel better. Having services all in one place can make a world of difference. At ServiceNet, we have your back. Call ServiceNet at 584-6855. The care you need is right here, all in one place, at ServiceNet. Last summer, Whalen Insurance finally did what a lot of insurance agencies around New England had done long ago. We partnered with a call center to handle routine things like a change of address. It went okay, but we're not going to continue. We found out that, no matter how simple or complicated the matter at hand, you prefer to talk to us. As one longtime Whalen Insurance client told me, the people at the call center are great, but they're not Amy. I like knowing I can call and talk to Amy every time. I guess I should have known. Local people and local service are what sets Whalen Insurance apart from those big 1-800 insurance companies. When you want a quote, when you need help with a claim, or anything else, just call. Or come to our office on King Street. Talk to Amy, or Kelly, or Mindy, or Valerie, or Lori. We tried the call center, you tried the call center, and we found out that you prefer talking to us. Whalen Insurance. Local people, local service, local insurance. Call 586 586- 1,000. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And this is our Black in the Valley segment with Amilcar Shabazz, professor of African-American studies at UMass, community leader, and we are so pleased that he has with him and us today a very special guest. Let me turn the microphone over to you, professor. The microphone is yours. Thank you, thank you. We are blessed to have with us an incomparable civic activist, uh, wonderful human, Andrea Battle, uh, 
and um, you will hear in her voice, she is a bona fide vintage New Yorker. You'll hear it, just forget about it. She's here with us. Welcome, Andrea Battle. I shot through. And what is that supposed to mean? Let <laughs> me tell you a little bit about this incredible person. I've been knowing her now um, for uh, more than a decade. Um, she moved here around um, uh, 2010. And um, before that, uh, as I said, she's from New York City. Uh, she went to school in um, uh, Fredonia, SUNY campus. Uh, from there, later worked on her uh, and got her master's, St. John's University in uh, Chinese studies, with which led her to uh, live in Taiwan um, for over a year. And um, came back, uh, worked as an educator, but worked for a time in the private sector um, without Jones uh, representing Barron's and uh, but then went back into education um, where she re uh, retired as an educator, um, comes to this area and has just taken uh, the community uh, to her heart and really been involved in so many different ways from uh, um, issues of, of that we'll talk about here today, but but housing, um, uh, community development, youth development. She was on the board of the Youth Action Coalition we ran for a while, and we just want to talk with her with our basic question that started this whole segment many years ago. What, what, what is it like to be Black in the Valley? You're here with us, Andrea. Talk to us. Well, you know, as a New Yorker coming to Amherst and uh, this area, well, the good things, um, the kindness. I mean, when I stop and let somebody cross, when I really have the right of way, that's a good thing. In New York, I get beeped. But in Amherst, people just say, oh, she's doing what we all do. Um, the other thing is that there is a feeling here where people are extremely liberal, yet I don't think they have the understanding of what kind of things that the average person who is African-American, Latino, and various other forms of people of color must go through sometimes between jobs, between uh, school, and all kinds of other things. And it's not that they're not well-meaning, they just are not as informed, I think, often is, is the problem. Well, you're currently on the uh, uh, steering committee or executive committee of the League of Women Voters, talk to, uh, other things you're involved in. Talk to us how you've been trying to, in a way, educate the community about the diverse experiences of, of, of um, African people, uh, people of color. Yeah, well, um, yeah, I, I've, uh, I joined the steering committee. Actually, I was nominating committee for a couple of years and I decided I didn't want to nominate anymore. And then I put myself on the steering committee at large thinking that would be easier. And yes, it is not. Uh, <laughs> but um, I, um, I really, really uh, try to talk to as many people. I was really, we created a new committee about two and a half years ago called, within the league called the Racial Justice Task Force, which eventually became, because they asked Marcy Slove, who was our uh, leader, when would, would, when would we um, be able to close the task force? And she said, when there is no racism. So the league decided it should be a committee, which was more permanent. So now we are the Racial Justice Committee, and it is composed of 12 or 13 absolutely incredible individuals who I trust wholly, some are white, black is <laughs> it's it's a it's a range and it's all people who care 
in a good loving way about Amherst and this area and to care about how we treat each other. And, and, and we've just worked really hard with different groups and trying to help with the community working safety group when they were trying to get together to encourage the town not to be angry, not to be forceful, but to talk to Bachelman, who is the manager, to talk to um, now Pamela Young, who is now the DEI director, and others as we create the CREST program, which is the community response, uh, which is people that can come out when it's not a gun involved or something that the police can be, to, to take some of the pressure off the police from incidents that could be solved easily by talking down and with people with a certain amount of energy and understanding and training. Uh, so we've been very involved with a lot of this kind of things, especially with the town. One thing you didn't mention there that I wanted to prompt you a little bit is, uh, and I'll get right to you, Bill, is that, um, you know, when I met you, I was running for school committee and you brought me before the Amherst Club, which you were you were very active in. But within the league, you've also been part of a conversation series that brings out uh, speakers and, and, and topics. Will you talk a little bit about that and the person it's named for? Yes, that is the Judy Brooks uh, committee and uh, you know her husband just passed. And we asked yeah, Barry yeah. and his kids if it was okay if we named the series after her because she was such an activist in terms of the community always. And um, she, um, uh, she stood for the positive things that we're looking to do in Amherst, which we know can happen. And so we do have people, we have... Um, lawyers we have people to talk about reproductive rights we you know we have different speakers every uh every month and it's about an hour conversations with the ability of people to ask questions and it is on it's on um you know it's of course on zoom which i seem seems everything is um and we do get to a lot of you know we we uh talk to so many different people from uh billy spitzer from the um uh, Hitchcock Center to Leben Ezra of the Survival Center. Uh, up and coming is the uh, community safety uh, justice thing with Deborah Ferrara and Allegra, and I lost Allegra's last name off the top of it, but anyway, right. two yep. leaders of that to talk about the problems and the possibilities. They're coming in January, and we're looking at the Black Business Association. Um, area which we will be talking about in two on twos i mean i'm sorry on, in february so um, we did we we talked to so many different people uh about issues that are uh very controversial but usually people get an awful lot out of them and if you register for it you can go back to the league if you missed it and actually listen to the recording because we basically record all of the sessions so people can listen to them if they can't make that particular meeting Bill? I'd like to go back. I have a question for both of you, Amakar Shabazz and Andrea Battle, and that is to return for a moment to something you were just talking about, which is the CREST program. And what I'd like to know from both of you is whether you are disappointed in the length of time that it has taken to really get that off the ground in Amherst, or whether you think that the program is, in fact, on track. So maybe we should start with Andrea and then we'll get to you, Amalcar. Well, 
obviously, you know, everybody, and I think including the town, is is a little disappointed that um, it um, that that it has taken this long. But there, there was a glitch happening, and um, and we don't all know the parameters, and I don't want to know them at this stage. I just want to keep encouraging the town and and telling them that we support this idea um, um, of trying to get it back on track. And they're, they're I know they're working at it. And um, uh, yeah, th I mean, of course, it's a disappointment. I was hoping it would be way off the ground by this time. And it, it isn't. It's that's some unfortunately, that's the way that things happen. And uh, when the head of it uh, ended up resigning, uh, there was no second. So we learned from that also, there should not be just one, it should be someone as a backup also. But yes, we're disappointed, but we're still, you know, watching and waiting and encouraging. And I'll turn it and to I can, And I concur with what, <clears throat> what uh, Andrea Battle just said, and, and just would add that, you know, we have to be careful that the default doesn't become, we just go back to, to policing. We were just listening to Mayor Garcia. He's sitting in his office now weighing whether to take uh, Holyoke in the direction of over-policing. We, we're, we're sick of that. We're, we're done with that. We're trying to right-size the, the, we're trying to look at community safety, safety and right-sizing the role for our sworn officers who have the, who carry lethal force. Uh, and the alternative, an alternative to that when that is not necessary, when that is not what is needed, that doesn't have to, you know, come as a, a department under the, a unit under the police. Let the police do what they have to do, but then let's begin to develop this new model of community safety that can take care of a lot of other issues that don't require lethal force, Some a sworn officer carrying lethal force. This is Black in the Valley. We'll be back with more right after this. Something saying, more talk the talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. Find local news and local talk for the valley. If we didn't go for this project, the cost to repair the schools is estimated at 80 million, and we don't get help with that. So this vote is the absolutely the smartest financial choice, and it's getting a building that we desperately need for our educators and for our students. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 101.5 and 1400 WHMP, news, information, and the arts. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member, Bill Newman. Sweeten up your holiday parties with gingerbread cookies, chocolate hazelnut seashells, vanilla Hanukkah cookies, and mini Dresden Stolen. It's all at the co-op. Sweet treats, the holiday roast, fresh seafood, beer and wine, and lots and lots and lots of local farm fruits and vegetables. Do a little gift shopping too. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. The holidays, baking, wrapping, decorating, and of course, shopping for that special gift. Hi, it's Jessica, owner of Fitness Together in Amherst and Northampton. 
This holiday season, consider giving a private one-on-one personal training session with a Fitness Together gift card. Stop by our locations, Amherst or Northampton, to pick one up in person. Or give us a call and we'll drop one in the mail. Give a gift that keeps the ones you love fit and healthy. Happy holidays from all of us at Fitness Together. Rachel Maddow's new book is Prequel, The American Fight Against Fascism. Get it now at Broadside Bookshop. Democracy Awakening, Notes on the State of America, is new from Heather Cox Richardson. And The Vaster Wilds is a new novel from Lauren Groff, a story of faith and survival set in the wilderness of early New England. Order any book on the Broadside website, have it delivered anywhere, or pick it up at the store. Then browse a bit. Broadside, Northampton's independent bookshop. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We continue our Black in the Valley segment with Amilcar Shabazz, our segment host. The microphone is yours, Amilcar. So, Andrea, we've uh, just finished uh, an election cycle here. We're we're going um, into 2024. Um, What are some things you'd like to to highlight? other areas besides the community safety one we've talked about that that you think um, we, we we ought to keep our keep a focus on. Well, we are looking at um, uh, hiring a new police chief, and um, I have to say um, I live in South Hadley right now because I live with my daughter and wonderful grandchildren. I'm still saying wonderful after four years. Uh, anyway, and I uh, I have to say. The South Hadley police are some of the nicest police I have met in a very long time. Um, We've had a crisis or two, and they've come, and they're the most well-trained people I have ever seen in my life. And I said, where am I? Did I go into an alternative universe? Because they were, and someone told me the other day that, that someone had committed suicide in the high school a number of years ago, and they went into a training thing. So I, I have to research that further because I'm trying to find out so that we can take it and duplicate it in so many places, particularly starting with Amherst. So um, I'm, I'm just, um, I have hope. Let's put it that way. Um, the reparations uh, committee uh, closed up. Uh, they did an incredible job. I was just telling Michelle and ML Carr last night at a function that I went to how impressed I was with what they did and the, and the actual report. And it gives me faith because I'm not going to lose that. There's always faith. As long as you have faith that something will change, then it gets better. And you mentioned your um, uh, incredible grandchildren. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about that that remarkable uh, uh, family unit you're a part of that that brought you here in the first place? Yeah, well, my, I, I followed my daughter. I promised her I would come up when the youngest, when the oldest one went to kindergarten and she called me ahead of time and said, I have good news and bad news. The good news is that I'm pregnant. The bad news is you have to move six months earlier because I need you here before the baby comes. So that's how I started coming into Amherst. And um, we, my, my daughter is a professor at uh, UMass. She's an archaeologist in the Department of Anthropology, and right now she's the new president of the American Anthropological Association. Um, and she's a dynamo, and she's the um, head of the Du Bois Center. And, uh, and my three children are two high school and one middle school in Amherst. 
also. So I'm hoping one one day Professor Battle uh, will have uh, your daughter will have a little time to come on the show as well. <laughs> she is uh, doing um, phenomenal work and would love to uh, have her here as well. The um, the other thing that I also wanted you to uh, share just a little bit on is in terms of the, uh, um, the culture, you also have um, have studied, have walked in, in the journey as a cultural uh, worker, as a spiritual person, and you've been doing this uh, work as a life coach. Anything on, on that? Tell us about your, your, your uh, life coaching practice. That's going to have to be for another time, and I'll be happy to come back and discuss that. And it's really been a pleasure because I love the show, and Bill has, is a great speaker also. <laughs> he was at the league for our opening. <laughs> so thank you so yeah. much. Thank you, Emil Carr. Anyway, look for the name of that. It's, it's, it's in my own voice, and, uh, and we will have to take time to, uh, to come back and to focus on that. Um, in some of the remaining time, I just will we, like to... Unfortunately, we have no remaining time. Northampton Neighbors is free of charge and open to all with a range of social and volunteer opportunities as well as services and support for members 55 and older in the city of Northampton. Need help? Want to help? Join us as a member, a volunteer, or donor. Northampton Neighbors is about more than aging in place. We're about engaging in place, this place. Find us online at northamptonneighbors.org or call us at 413-341-0160. The Northampton Community Music Center provides quality, accessible music education to more than 1,000 members of the greater Northampton community. Hi, this is Jason Trotta, Executive Director of the Northampton Community Music Center. Our scholarship fund helps those with limited means access affordable music instruction and has never turned away a qualifying applicant in its 33 years of existence. To find out how you can help, please visit our website at ncmc.net. WHMP Northampton and WRSI HD2 Turner's Falls, whmp.com, a Northampton Radio Group station. It's 10 o'clock. Yahoo says 117 hostages are still being held captive. The BBC's Hugo Bachega reports hospitals there are overwhelmed with the injured and starvation is on the rise. These new evacuation orders were seeing thousands of Palestinians being forced to flee their homes. Many of them are moving further south to Rafah. We're seeing this humanitarian crisis in Gaza is getting worse. Only limited aid is getting into the territory. We're seeing widespread shortages of basic supplies. Shelters that have been designated as safe areas by the Israeli authorities are unable to cope with a new wave of displaced residents in Gaza. A CBS News poll finds most Americans disapprove of President Biden's handling of the war. Director of Surveys Anthony Salvanto. On foreign policy, it's always important for a president to have their party behind them, especially in this day and age. But in particular, in terms of showing support for Israel, we've seen a rise in the number of Democrats who think that Biden is showing too much support for Israel. 
Donald Trump's had a change of heart. He's decided not to testify for a second time at his New York civil trial, where he was set to be the final defense witness today. Mr. Trump explained on social media he testified, quote, very successfully and conclusively last month and has nothing more to say. His former attorney, Rudy Giuliani, is scheduled to appear in federal court in Washington. Heartbreak in Middle Tennessee after a series of tornadoes swept through, killing at least six people, including a toddler. I heard a two-year-old is gone, and I have a two-year-old, and I can't handle that. And my baby's at home sleeping peacefully in his bed, and I still have him. More than 18,000 customers there are still without power. The local utility says it could take weeks to get everyone back online. The Supreme Court has just declined to hear a challenge to a Washington state law banning conversion therapy for children, changing sexual orientation or gender identity. The case was brought by a Christian therapist. Top news search on Google this year, Israel Hamas, then Titanic submersible, and the earthquakes in Turkey and Syria. Top trending person, the Bills, DeMar Hamlin. As they brought the stretcher out, they have that backboard out. Top trender in entertainment. Hi, Barbie. Yep, everyone's favorite doll, followed by her summer companion. We're in a race against the Nazis. Barbie and Oppenheimer also led this morning's Golden Globe nominations. The Dow is down four points. This is CBS News. Make the hiring process work for you. With Indeed's end-to-end hiring solution, you can attract, interview, and hire candidates all from one place. Start at Indeed.com slash credit. Thousands of stores across the country are pulling brand-name cold and allergy products off the shelves. Why? Because an FDA advisory panel recently determined that a drug they contain, oral phenylephrine, is ineffective as a nasal decongestant. Navage offers a drug-free solution that's fast and highly effective at relieving nasal congestion caused by colds and allergies. Navage uses suction to pull saline in one nostril, around the back of the nose, and out of the other nostril to help suck out allergens, mucus, and germs. Nasal irrigation works, and Navage makes it quick and easy, but more than anything, it helps you breathe better. Don't waste your time or money on products that are ineffective. Trust drug-free Navage for fast relief to help you breathe easier, sleep better, and feel healthier. Ask for Navage at Walmart, Walgreens, CVS, Rite Aid, Target, or find us online at Navage.com. Navage, N-A-V-A-G-E. Clean nose, healthy life. From the sports file. It was the lowest scoring NFL game in 16 years. The Raiders and Vikings struggled to move the ball with backup quarterbacks. No score with just under two minutes left. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. A Northampton man is facing multiple charges after allegedly firing several rounds from an AK-47 styled weapon into his neighbor's house on Wright Avenue. 29-year-old Joshua Martinelli was in Northampton District Court on Friday, where he was held without bail pursuant to the dangerousness statute. None of the four people in the adjoining residence were injured. Martinelli will be back in court on December 14th. On Sunday, the Greenfield Human Rights Commission awarded Gloria Matlock with the 2023 Greenfield Human Rights Award. The commission reestablished the annual award in honor of the 75th annual Human Rights Day. Matlock was one of six nominations made to the commission, including Samantha Blanchard, Ang Buxton, Lucinda Brown, Stephanie Goosen-Duclos, and Laureen Flockersey. 
An investigation is ongoing after students at Turner's Falls High School and Great Falls Middle School received contaminated chocolate milk from the cafeteria on Friday. Staff reported that although the milk cartons were sealed and had an expiration date of December 25th, they had a clear white liquid with a vinegar odor. The Turner's Falls Fire Department contacted the Massachusetts State Hazmat Response Team to test the contaminated milk. Northfield police engaged in a canine-assisted search Sunday afternoon after a report came in for a suspected stolen, broken-down ATV near Route 142. When police arrived, the operator fled into the woods. Police verified the ATV was stolen from Vermont, and area police departments, along with Mass State Police, set up a perimeter. Irving's canine Ziva tracked the suspect, who was later located and brought to the hospital for a mental health concern. Police say charges are pending. Sports say rain will come to an end this morning, then mostly cloudy and windy this afternoon. Highs 42 to 46. Tonight, partly cloudy and breezy. Overnight lows 22 to 26. And the outlook for Tuesday, mostly sunny. Highs in the lower 40s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP. All that I have my grandfather's hammer and his old railroad watch with a casing all worn and the bible my grandmother bought her last christmas she left to my mother now she's passed it on and what beautiful music to welcome you to the show this is talk to talk and i am buzz eisenberg and I'm Bill Newman, and we are joined by two internationally renowned singer-songwriters, Tim Van Eggman and Sarah Pirtle, and Rochelle Walfong, who is a librarian at the Meekins Library, and they are here today because we want you to know about this beautiful, moving event that's going to be happening in Asheville. Let me turn the first question, let me turn the first question to Sarah Pirtle. Tell us about what is happening, where it's happening, why it's happening. It's really a it's something that goes on every year, and for those of you who have not heard it, been there, seen, and experienced this, you really want to. Sarah, tell us. We're a group of people who do stories all over New England, but we come together winter solstice. This is our 39th year, and we make it family-friendly so people can settle in and feel the warmth of the community, whether they're online watching or in person in Ashfield this year. One of the things that's so exciting is that we donate to community groups, and we're going to be donating to Ocoteo. Larry Spotted Crow Man, one of the directors of Ocoteo, which is Native American education, Nipmuc education at the Double-Edged Theater. He'll be here as a poet, a playwright, and author and a traditional storyteller. Tell us where and when this is, please. The title is Winter Solstice. It's the 39th year. When is it? Where is it? This Saturday, 6.30 p.m., up at the Ashfield Congregational Church, that beautiful white church across from the fire station. People would come by 6.30, and they can expect all kinds of juggling, joy, lots of fun. But if you can't come in person, there's a way to come online. Rochelle, can you give that link? This begins dancing. Um, Rochelle Walfang? Yes, there, there is an email, which is dancing underscore story. Oh, I'm not sh Is this really correct? Yes, at, Yahoo. at yahoo.com. There's also okay, a phone number. 
413 I think that okay. number has changed to her oh. cell phone number, which I have to get. Okay, in any case, uh, this is for reservations and uh, Zoom registration to get the link for the Zoom streaming. But what people, what people need to know is you don't have to reserve to be able to come. That's a good point. Come up to the Ashfield Church, and it's a chance to sing along to, you know, that kind of feeling when a story starts and you go, oh, I just sink into this story. So there'll be eight different storytellers. We'll give you some of the names people will re recognize from wonderful stories around the valley. R Rochelle. Yes, well, we, we've, we've, I just wanted to give a little bit of background to this group, which started 39 years ago, and we began telling stories for each other uh, in our, our homes. We were doing potlucks, and um, louder, and so, and it, we grew to a Western New England Storytellers Guild, which ended up uh, telling an annual solstice event in Northampton. And but then we moved around; we did different places, and and here we are, the solstice being the darkest night of the year, the the longest night. The, the snow is outside, and what would be better than to cuddle up in a seat and listen to somebody begin a tale? I know Bill's eyes always roll when I get Ashfield-centric, but I just want to tell you that the First Congregational Church in Ashfield, right there on Main Street in Ashfield, it just went through an incredible renovation last year, and instead of just being a renovation that involves parishioners, it uh, wanted to be a community place where wonderful performances like the Winter Solstice Celebration uh, that's going to take place this Saturday, that's the 16th of December, is going to be at 7 o'clock. The doors are going to open at 6.30. I'm going to be there because it's a beautiful place to hear these storytellers. No. There's going to be storytellers and singers and musicians. No, the doors open actually at 6, and we start at 6.30. Oh, is that true? Well, Show the poster begins. says otherwise, but I'll oh. take your word oh. for it. This well, is, one of this, the groups you're you know going to have. I'm, I'm looking at the uncorrected poster. Okay. Oh, one part luck is going to be there. And people come from far to hear John by Peg Cowan. One of their songs was featured on Car Talk, My Old Truck. So what we do every year, this being our 39th, is we have guests along with the people who have been there for years. So you'll hear old-timey music from John By and Peg Cowan called One Part Luck. And you'll hear Larry Spotted Crow Man, who's um, just actually internationally known as a Nipmuc storyteller. We in fact, in. pardon? I was going to say too, it's important people know that uh, another one of the another one of the beneficiaries that uh, all proceeds will go to from the program, besides the Ocateo Center, is uh, the Food Bank of Western Massachusetts. Uh, and also this year we are um, splitting the proceeds with the UN High Commission for Refugees. Um, we uh, often have to go through a, a, a process of deciding who to give the money to, but uh, uh, we always have wanted to uh, uh, you know, support important things in the community and also in, in the broader world. 
Thank you, Tim von Eggman. Will you be performing? Yes, I'll be telling a story as well as many of the other fine storytellers. And uh, also I'll be uh, accompanying uh, Kisti Gresek, who's one of our members who um, is a beautiful singer. And she'll be uh, featuring uh, a song by Joe Jenks called The Longest Night of the Year. Other people you'll hear from, you'll hear stories by John Porcino, of course, Becky Tippins. Year after year, we were at her roundhouse, and now we're in Ashfield. David Arfa and Yossel Kurland, who, who is um, one, he was the leader of the wholesale klezmer band. So you can get a feeling for the, the wide range of kinds of stories and music we're going to be offering. And Rob Peck and, is our resident um, juggler and funny man. And I know he was there last year, Bill. So let me see if I have this. At the Ashfield Congregational Church on the 16th, uh, beginning at 6.30 or 7, depending on which poster you want to believe. Mm. The, 6.30. No, 6.30. 6.30. The, well, there will be this solstice celebration, how to uh, deal with, come to terms with, the longest night of the year. And well, and then days will be getting longer beginning then. It is a time of celebration. There will be stories and music and juggling and all sorts of acts and really a celebration of community. That basically what's happening at the Congregational Church. Do I have that right? I think you have that right. There will be a suggested donation of $12 to $20 for adults, of $5 to $10 for children. People are asked, please bring a, some canned goods if you have them for the Survival Center. There will be treats to share during intermission. Incredible, incredible performances by really skillful storytellers, singers, and musicians. The doors will open at 6.30. They perform at 6 o'clock. Performance will begin no, at 6.30. I think we're going with, with the 6.30 doors open and okay, performance at 7. It's and, settled. Doors open at 6.30, performance okay. at 7 o'clock. And, and let me give you that number. The, the correct number will be Becky's uh, 413-768-2068. 768-2068. For reservations. And if you want to get a link. taste, Tim... Tim Van Eggman, can you give us a taste of what people will be hearing on Saturday at roughly 7 o'clock? Okay, this is the, my hammered dulcimer, and uh, this is what I will be, the hammered dulcimer is what I'll be accompanying Christie's song with. Okay, we are waiting for Tim Van Eggman. Oh, should have tuned before I play. Different, different place I'll start. Just beautiful. This Saturday, December 16th, it'll be starting at 7 o'clock. Doors open at 6.30 at the First Congregational Church in Ashfield. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Rochelle. Thank you, Sarah Pirtle. 
We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Tag, you're it. Tom Hartman, weekdays at noon. Tom Hartman Program, your home for the resistance, commentary, conversation, and common cause. Join me, Tom Hartman, every weekday from noon to 3, right here on WHMP. 1015 and 1400 WHMP. Season's greetings. I'm Thomas Macheco, the President and CEO of Greenfield Savings Bank. And I'm Shonda Richardson, the Senior Vice President and Chief Operating Officer. On behalf of all of us at GSB, we want to wish everyone a happy, healthy, and safe holiday season and a happy new year. We also want to thank all of our customers for choosing to bank locally with GSB and GSB Wealth Management and Trust Services. And we want to thank all of our employees for their efforts on behalf of the bank this year. The holiday season is such a wonderful time of the year with holiday decorations, lights, and spending time with ones we love. And we encourage everyone to shop locally as much as possible and support our local businesses and restaurants. Again, from all of us at Greenfield Savings Bank, happy, happy holidays and, and happy, happy new, new year. year. Greenfield Savings Bank, greenfieldsavings.com, with offices and ATMs throughout Franklin and Hampshire counties. Member FDIC, member DIF, an equal housing lender. Did you know that you can prevent domestic and sexual violence? You can say something. We all can say something. Together, we can do so much. Say Something is the domestic and sexual violence prevention program at Safe Passage. Join a prevention lab to build your skills and find opportunities to say something to prevent violence. Join us and help make your community safe and healthy for everyone. Get more information or sign up for a prevention lab at saysomethingnow.org. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are back with Talk to Talk. Bill Newman, uh, it's pretty interesting. There's all kinds of wonderful things happening in the Valley these days. There is, and we have joining us Lori Millman, who's the Executive Director of the Center for New Americans. And we want Lori to introduce to us, I believe she has with us, one of the students of the Center for New Americans. And we want you to know about an event that is happening very, very soon, which involves people up and down the Valley Lori Milliman, Executive Director of the Center for New Americans, thank you for being with us today. Tell us about the event. Tell us why it matters. But hang on a second. First, I want you to take a minute and tell our listeners who don't know what the Center for New Americans is, and then give us the connection between the event and the Center for New Americans. Bill, that's a very tall order you're giving me. <laughs> I'm going to try to <laughs> but you're up to the test. work on it. So Center for New Americans welcomes and serves immigrants and migrants and asylum seekers. And everyone that you've been reading about in the news is someone who's either in our classes or on our wait list. So Haitian migrants in shelters, refugees from Syria and the DRC and Ukraine. We're working with everyone. And this wonderful event, 30 Poems in November, 15 years now since Leslie Newman started it. 
um, helps us to do this work. We get lots of government funding. It's not enough. So the wonderful support that has been raised by 91 writers under the amazing leadership of Sarah Sullivan, our event chair, who was with me in the studio, not a student, um, but very committed to our students, um, makes a huge difference to us. And Wednesday night is our celebration of the amazing work and the power of poetry to raise close to $75,000. So a reading at Smith College, Wright Hall, Weinstein Auditorium in Wright Hall with a reception to follow from some of the most wonderful and caring writers you can imagine. Um, all guided and inspired by Sarah's nightly prompts. Could you tell us a bit, if you would, please, about uh, the, the 30 poems in 30 days, uh, who the authors are? I know a lot of local talent is involved with this and how you get to raise $75,000. Uh, and I take it that what the event is at Weinstein Auditorium is these extraordinary poets will be sharing mm -hmm. their amazing poetry. Is that basically right? Sarah yeah. Sullivan, you're the event chair. Could you tell us about it? You bet. You nailed it. Um, so of the 91 poets we have, some of them have been remote. We've extended our reach of people who are enthusiastic about this cause. And at least half are very local uh, some well-known published poets and some who are just starting this year. Uh, Jane Yolen and Patricia Lee Lewis are a couple who have been raising money steadily and um, are leaders in this area. So the goal is to write 30 poems in the month. And since I started chairing, I've been sending out emails with prompts every night that people have the option of using, um, sleeping on it and writing the next day. And we hold three workshops uh, for the poets who are raising money for us. And there's just been some amazing and moving work. Um, that's a lot of poems, 30 times 90, 2,700. <laughs> I'm sorry, I have to ask the question, why is 30 poems in November happening on December 13th. Oh, oh, that's the reading. That's the reading. We had to write all month, and now we have to, like, make it legible and figure out who's going to read. And uh, and we should also say that um, because poetry has become a fabric, part of the fabric of our program, our teachers, many of them, use poetry to teach English during the fall. And so our students write in class. It's a method of expression. And a couple of our students will also read, which is a lot of fun. So, how many readers will there be? It's about 35 or There's going to be about 35 in person, um, and then we are doing a remote reading because we have so many people writing from far away or who have health issues whom we really want to hear. So, Sunday uh, night at 7 p.m. will be a, a Zoom reading available to the public. That's December 17th. So there will be another 20 or so readers there. And um, we do have a couple students reading on Wednesday, live in person. Nerissa Niels will be singing a song. It's, it's such a fun, beautiful event. And it's free. So it's free? And it's, free. It's, free. it's free, and there are snacks afterward. And uh, made by one of our students who's also reading. Yes. What was the inspiration for this? How did 30 Poems in November come about, and how did it become a fundraiser for the Center for New so, Americans? 
Leslie Newman, when she was Northampton Poet Laureate, wanted to do 30 poems in 30 days um, and thought she would do a fundraiser. And then Mayor Claire Higgins, bless her, said, why don't you do that for Center for New Americans? And that's how it started. Um, and it had such traction. There, was, there were so many writers who wanted to participate um, that we've done it every year. And um, I think people love it. It's the literary equivalent of a charity road race. This is a valley with lots of wonderful and talented writers. Um, and I think people appreciate the discipline of being able to write every day. And they also like sharing thoughts about, especially this year, which has been particularly hard with world events. It's an opportunity to connect, to create community. That's something Sarah has fostered a lot with workshops. And um, writing in community sort of chases some of the, um, holds some of the chaos at bay, perhaps, and, and gives you hope that maybe you can contribute to something. And the thing that's really moving is that when people make donations to writers who ask for them, they often thank them for giving them the opportunity to make a difference. So <laughs> it's sort of odd to be thanked by your donors, but it seems to matter to people who are desperate to show that they're not okay with things the way they are. They want to make a difference, and this feels like an avenue for them to do that. It really engenders a, a, a warm smile on my face. I just wanted to point out, uh, listeners who want to find out more about it, you can email Laurie, L-A-U-R-I-E, at C-N-A-M, the Center for New Americans, dot org. Laurie at C-N-A-M dot org. It's going to be Wednesday, uh, December 13th at 7 o'clock at Weinstein Auditorium in Wright Hall at Smith College in um, it just sounds like a very, very moving thing. Sarah, you wanted to uh, talk more about... I, I want to know more about what's happening on the 17th. Thank you. Um, yeah, so on the 17th will be sort of a parallel reading. Uh, the last two years we did hybrid, and um, I really wanted us to encourage more people to be in person without leaving people out. So just trying to reform some community interaction that we lost during COVID. And things are different. It's not going to go back to that. But um, so the reading on, on Sunday is for a whole bunch of talented readers who have really uh, given their energy and raised so much support. Um, and I certainly didn't want to miss out on hearing their poems. So I'm very excited to have two uh, two different readings where people can hear each other, including the writers can listen to each other on those different nights. And can we hear one of yours now? Is that okay? It, was that okay? Yeah. I think that'd be great. I'll, I'll just say I sent this November 7th. I probably, I send out a poem to um, people um, who tend to donate money. So I send uh, an email. So I sent this November 7th. Yield. In every invincible ocean, every buoyant sea, I want to submerge my entire be being. What isn't a baptism? What creature won't accept a blessing when it's offered? This is a ferocious world. What body doesn't bend? Even the redwood sways to endure the storms. Even the stick bug shifts. Are you bruised and scarred? I have met the humming of relentless. I have watched surf smack against black boulders, heard the rhythm of pause, 
even in the midst of pummeling, of whipping gales. I bend because I am able. I bend because there is more than enduring. The view changes with every turn I make. I won't tell you my ambitions. I have bowed so many times, so many times, and stood again. Wow, Bill, I know how much you love poetry. That's pretty moving. It's really moving. And I, I would love to go back to something that you said, and that had to do with, I think, the way this works as a fundraiser for the Center of New Americans, and I think people can still contribute, which is a poet says to a group of people, I'm going to write a poem a day every day this month. In exchange, sort of in exchange, that poet will send out to those who contributed to her efforts a poem a day and that has had one way in which poetry infuses its love and inspiration in our community as it raises money for the center for new americans exactly except i am one of the few people who send out poems every day i accidentally started that habit when i first did this the first did 30 poems in november and it turned out to be a great way to remind people and offer people uh, the op opportunity to donate and and say hi to me. Some so, people send um, all their poems at the end of the month to say thank you, or all their poems that are ready for prime time, right? Not everybody writes as fluidly as Sarah, so some of us write every day but, but wouldn't share them every night. So. Will you be reading yours, Larry Millen? I will, she because will. Sarah would <laughs> give me an elbow in the ribs if I didn't. <laughs> and is, the, is this the one time of year that you write poetry, Lori Millman, or are you uh, a writer 365 days a year? I'm not a writer in the, in the context of Sarah and Narissa and Jane and Patricia and Tommy Twilight, um, but I do have poetic thoughts throughout the year. This is the time that I commit them to paper. And I'm really grateful for I feel like I've had Poetry 101 with these workshops, so I'm grateful for those. I always want the 30 poems in November to be collected uh, every year. And I'm not sure that really happens other than at this public they reading. Are, they are, Bill, because what happens is if you have raised at least $150, you are eligible to submit one poem to the anthology that we publish every year. And our friends Marty Wall and Marissa Lavosetta offset the cost of the um, publication along with collective copies who has not raised their prices to us and charges us cost to produce these beautiful, bound, perfect books, which every writer receives the first copy for free, thanks to Marty and Marissa, um, and collective copies, and then they can buy extras. And we will happily gift one to you. They're in every um, local dentist office for people who, <laughs> dentists who love poetry. Um, but yes, they're beautiful books, and we may even publish a student anthology this year as well. And they're on sale at Collective Copy also. And, you know, if anyone needs my autograph, I'm happy to do that. <laughs> it's, so, it's so sought after. <laughs> it's a, Again, tell, tell us one more time where the reading will be. Um, I have seen the anthology now that you mentioned it. I have seen it in the past, and I'm thrilled to find out it's happening again this year. Tell us when the reading will be, again, free and open to the public. You want to do yourself the favor of attending this reading. The reading is actually hosted by the Smith College Poetry Center, who are wonderful friends to us. 
It's in Weinstein Auditorium in Wright Hall at Smith College on Wednesday, December 13th at 7 o'clock p.m. in person with a reception to follow and then online Sunday night at 7 p.m. Email laurie at cnam.org for the link for the weekend and to and come see us uh, for free on Wednesday night. We have a good time. It's a very warm and fuzzy event. And, and give it, your it, yeah, and give yourself at least five or ten extra minutes to get lost on Smith campus. It's one of the big buildings. <laughs> and, <laughs> it's, and whatever it's, we all, I'm sorry, Bill. I just want to say that uh, putting aside, and I don't want to put aside this reading, uh, support the Center for New Americans. It's uh, the, it's an incredible resource for our neighbors and friends who take advantage of the services which it offers. Bill, I interrupted you. And and it's an incredible resource for us because we are the recipients of a richer uh, community because of so many of these immigrants and migrants who are a part of our community once they're supported. You're here. Bill. Weinstein Auditorium, if you're looking at the front of the library in the Smith campus, it's to your right. It's really easy. You will not get lost. And you want to do yourself the favor of attending this reading, this event. You will make community out of community. You will feel a part of this community in a way that you didn't before you went. And now I know how to get there. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Bill Newman, Traffic Cop. Okay, it's this Wednesday at 7 o'clock. Thank you, Lauren Millen. Thank you, Sarah. Thank Sullivan. you so much. We appreciate your presence in this valley. It's immensely important. Thank you. Thank you. Thank we'll you. be right back. is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. A Northampton man is facing multiple charges after allegedly firing several rounds from an AK-47-styled weapon into his neighbor's house on Wright Avenue. 29-year-old Joshua Martinelli was in Northampton District Court on Friday, where he was held without bail pursuant to the dangerousness statute. None of the four people in the adjoining residence were injured. Martinelli will be back in court on December 14th. On Sunday, the Greenfield Human Rights Commission awarded Gloria Matlock with the 2023 Greenfield Human Rights Award. The commission reestablished the annual award in honor of the 75th annual Human Rights Day. Matlock was one of six nominations made to the commission, including Samantha Blanchard, Ang Buxton, Lucinda Brown, Stephanie Goosen-Duclos, and Laureen Flockerzee. An investigation is ongoing after students at Turner's Falls High School and Great Falls Middle School received contaminated chocolate milk from the cafeteria on Friday. Staff reported that although the milk cartons were sealed and had an expiration date of December 25th, they had a clear white liquid with a vinegar odor. Turner's Falls Fire Department contacted the Massachusetts State Hazmat Response Team to test the contaminated milk. Northfield Police engaged in a canine-assisted search Sunday afternoon after a report came in for a suspected stolen, broken-down ATV near Route 142. When police arrived, the operator fled into the woods. Police verified the ATV was stolen from Vermont, and area police departments, along with Mass State Police, set up a perimeter. Irving's K-9 Ziva tracked the suspect, who was later located and brought to the hospital for a mental health concern. Police say charges are pending. 
Sports today, rain will come to an end this morning, then mostly cloudy and windy this afternoon. Highs 42 to 46. Tonight, partly cloudy and breezy. Overnight lows 22 to 26. And the outlook for Tuesday, mostly sunny. Highs in the lower 40s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP. Sipping and shopping and strolling. This Thursday in downtown Amherst. It's a party all over town. The stores will be aglow. Restaurants are doing dinner deals. There's a maker's market with a bar. 20 artisans inside the old Hastings. Sip and shop. Plus, horse-drawn carriage rides through town. Sip and shop and stroll in downtown Amherst. Festive and fun. This Thursday, 5 to 9. I'm not sure if opposites attract, but most couples differ greatly in their views about household finances. I'm Frances Rayum, the money doctor, with Hug Your Money. Money is a very volatile topic, and most seem to either argue about it or rarely discuss it. A sort of division of labor emerges, one partner becoming the steward of household finances, the other less directly involved. This arrangement may work until a stressor is introduced, college expenses, budgeting issues, impending retirement, etc. That's when sparks can fly. Each person's perspective is quite different, and it's likely only a short-term solution if any will arise. The Hug Plan presents an easy-to-follow, long-term solution that helps get both partners on the same page, alleviating stress and inspiring them to manage their finances successfully. I'm Frances Ray, I'm the Money Doctor. We now offer advanced tools and financial coaching using our patented system, all under one umbrella. For more information and to schedule your free consultation, visit our website at HugYourMoney.com. When your child is struggling with depression, anger, school issues, or anxiety, getting them the care they need all in one place can make a world of difference. ServiceNet offers you options. Talk therapy for both your child and your family. Medication. Behavioral strategies. ServiceNet therapists and our psychiatry team work together to help your child feel better. At ServiceNet, we have your back. Call ServiceNet at 584-6855. The care you need is right here, all in one place at ServiceNet. If they ask me, I could write a book about the way and welcome back to Talk to Talk. We have our wonderful weekly segment, which we call Writer's Block, with Megan Zinn. Bill, um, we have a pretty special local writer that Megan's brought to introduce us to. Yeah, my, my guest is East Hampton-based writer Anna Reyes, uh, author of The House in the Pines, which has just been released in paperback. It was on the New York Times bestseller list for over two months at the start of the year and a Wreath Witherspoon book club pick. Um, Anna Reyes will be at the Odyssey Bookshop to talk about The House in the Pines on Thursday, December 14th at 7 p.m. And she'll be joined in conversation with Margot Duahi, who was on our show back in February, another ma- amazing uh, r- local writer. You can find out more on their website at odysseybooks.com. And welcome, Anna. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And f- to start, give us a short description of your book, uh, The House in the Pines. It's a psychological thriller um, about a young woman who lives in Boston, um, and she's trying to move on with her life after a difficult past when she comes ac- upon this video of a young woman in a diner sitting across from Maya's ex-boyfriend, and the young woman drops dead out of nowhere. He never touches her, never, there's no poison, there's no obvious r- way that he could have killed her. 
Um, and yet Maya's sure that he did because the same thing happened to her best friend seven years earlier. So um, to solve this, this mystery, she has to go back home to Pittsfield um, in, uh, in the Berkshires. And she has to return to this, uh, this man Frank's house, a, a cabin deep in the woods. Um, and she has to confront him to figure out the truth of how he killed these women. And can you read us a little bit? Read us the, uh, the prologue. Yes. Um, so this is the prologue. Deep in these woods, there is a house that's easy to miss. Most people, in fact, would take one look and insist it's not there. And they wouldn't be wrong, not completely. What they would see are a house's remains, a crumbling foundation crawling with weeds, a house long since abandoned. But look closely at the ground here, at this concrete scarred by sun and ice. This is where the fireplace goes. If you look deeply enough, a spark will ignite, and if you blow on it, that spark will bloom into a blaze, a warm light in this cold, dark forest. If you come closer, out of the cold, the fire gets stronger, blows smoke in your eyes, tumbling smoke with a burning pine smell that sweetens to the smell of perfume, then softens to the smell of your mother's coat. She's murmuring in the next room. Turn around and here come the walls, shyly, like deer emerging from the trees. Frozen concrete becomes an area rug. Take off your shoes, stay a while. Outside the wind is rising and there comes a clacking, a close, rapid chatter. It must be the windows and their sashes. A light snow sifts from the sky, blanketing this cozy home, tucking it in for the night. Good night, little house, and good night, mouse. Remember... For once, there is no reason to get up, no one to chase or run away from. From the kitchen comes the smell of home, the sounds of a saute. This is how the world was once, before the first colic, the first scald, the first getting lost, and this is why you do it. Good night, nobody, good night, mush, and good night to the old lady whispering hush. Get a good night's sleep, because when you wake, this house will be gone. Thank you. And that was Ana Reyes reading from her book, The House in the Pines. I and love, unfortunately, had to stop reading. I know. I know. Well, got we keep you going, you know, and just stay here for a couple of hours, let you read the whole book to us. <laughs> um, I love the reference to Goodnight Moon there. It's uh, sort of like um, um, nostalgic and creepy at the same time, which is, which is lovely. Tell us about what sparked um, the ideas for this book. This book is kind of built around the house, um, the house itself, this mysterious cabin in the woods. And I drew the inspiration for the house from all the fairy tales that I grew up loving as a child. Um, so when you think of any fairy tale with a lost child running through the woods and they come upon a house um, like Hansel and Gretel or um, even Little Red Riding Hood, I was really kind of taken um, with fairy tales in general, but especially with this house. And um, for me, it came to sort of symbolize the idea of home. Um, and there's kind of this dark nostalgic element to it, um, because like the house in um, in Hansel and Gretel, there is something both enchanting and almost magical about the house in the pines, but it's also deadly. Um, so for me, there's something very haunting about that. Nice. And um, Ana Reyes, uh, author of The House in the Pines, um, what, um, why a psychological thriller? What drew you to this genre? 
I'm a huge thriller and horror reader. Okay. I grew up um, reading Christopher Pike and R.L. Stein, which were kind of the mm-hmm. YA authors mm-hmm. of, of my day back in, when I was growing up in the 90s. And um, I was just obsessed with these stories about, you know, teenagers who are, you know, are vampires or <laughs> or monsters or being chased by axe murderers. And I was just really um, obsessed with the genre. So it's, it's kind of always been my preferred genre. And when it came time to write a book, I... Um, kind of started gravitating naturally in that direction after a time. All right. Wonderful. Do you have a sense of, you probably, you know, the big answer question to ask, but, you know, we're, we are, as a culture, really drawn to, a lot of people are really drawn to true crime and murders, to these kinds of thrillers. Um, do you have a sense of, like, what, what makes these so compelling to us? I think it has something to do with the same reason that we're drawn to fairy tales. Mm. Um, children, they always want the stories about the wicked witches. And if you think about the most popular stories for children, they're usually quite terrifying. <laughs> and I do think that um, there's something similar about that with thrillers. Yeah, Dan. So this is Dan. I wanted to ask this. And then it came up when, when you were talking about your book and... Uh, the main character going back to Pittsfield. Why Pittsfield? That's a question I wanted to ask the author. Pittsfield is my mother's hometown, and I lived there too um, for a couple of years. I, in elementary school, I lived in Pittsfield, and it's a place of great beauty. It's right in the Berkshires, um, so you've got some be- beautiful nature. At the same time, it's also the site of a former GE. It was a former GE town. So there's this sense that I had um, living there that there was a lot of empty storefronts, there was unemployment, um, and the water was polluted because GE dumped PCBs into it. Um, and then meanwhile, I had my mother telling me, but when I was young, when I was your age, in Pittsfield's heyday, it was this amazing place where we would cruise up and down Main Street on Thursday nights and all the shops would stay open. And my mom was actually the Easter bunny at the local <laughs> department store. So I, I grew up with the idea of Pittsfield, this kind of wistful Pittsfield of my mom's stories, and then the Pittsfield that I saw in front of me. And the disconnect was really powerful and haunting. And that makes me think of that uh, the person who allegedly killed two people, right? I mean, the, the parallels there. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're talking with Anna Reyes, author of The House in the Pines. Anna's going to be at uh, Odyssey Bookshop um, this week on Thursday, December 14th at 7 p.m. to talk about it in honor of the release of the paperback version. And we will be back to talk some more. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. Find local news and local talk for the Valley which says we need to appeal to the wealthy white people of our region because the marginalized people do not have money, which is true, but as we know, that's what happens when you have centuries of policies that are oppressive, that are racist. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 1015 and 1400 WHMP, news, information, and the arts. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member, Bill Newman. Sweeten up your holiday parties with gingerbread cookies, chocolate hazelnut seashells, vanilla Hanukkah cookies, and mini Dresden Stolen. It's all at the co-op. Sweet treats, the holiday roast, fresh seafood, beer and wine, and lots and lots and lots of local farm fruits and vegetables. Do a little gift shopping, too. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. 
Hi, this is Jane Wolf, Senior Vice President of Residential Lending at Greenfield Cooperative Bank. I'd like to wish you and your family a wonderful holiday season and a prosperous new year. Hi, this is Missy Tatro, Assistant Vice President and Senior Mortgage Originator at Greenfield Cooperative Bank. I'd like to wish everyone a safe and happy holiday season. Hi, this is Julie and Ashley, wishing, wishing everyone a cheerful, stress-free holiday season and a delightful new year. Hi, I'm Brendan O'Connor. I'm Ethan McCandless. And I am Luke Parsons. From the credit department at Greenfield Cooperative Bank, happy holidays. Hi, this is Teresa from the 63 Federal Street Office of Greenfield Cooperative Bank. I would like to wish all of our customers and their families a Christmas that's merry and bright and a happy new year filled with love, health, and happiness. Hi, I'm Dawn. And I'm Erica from the Florence Branch of Northampton Cooperative Bank. We, we would, would like, like to extend our best wishes to our customers, families, and friends for a happy holiday season and a happy new year. Cheers. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are back with Writer's Block with Megan Zinn. And I, I just, before we go back to Ana Reyes and her fascinating book, The House in the Pines, that uh, she just read from, I just want to ask you, Megan, how do you account for the fact that we have so many highly skillful writers in this region? In this region. And it's part of the reason I think I live here and part of the reason a lot of people live here. Um, I mean, I think it's um, the community is supportive of that and then and then like attracts like but that is a, definitely a question for um for our guest Anya Reyes, Anna Reyes um because um you um grew up here and you went away um and what um how how did our community do you think um develop you as a writer and I'll add a part b to that because your mother is a writer um Mary Carey um a well-known writer for the Gazette for a very long time and teaches writing and journalism at UMass Amherst so I guess a two-part question how did this community turn you into a writer and was there an influence of having a parent who's a writer I think that's probably the biggest thing was having my mom, um, you know, being very encouraging from a very young age of my love for reading. Um, she was always, you know, buying me new books and, um, you know, talking to me about books. She read me my first book, which was Charlotte's Web, my Perfect. first chapter book. Um, but I think this area, um, it just attracts, it. maybe it's the five colleges, mm -hmm. maybe it's, um, you know, the Robert Frost and, you know, Emily Dickinson of it all. Um, but there is something about this area that seems to be very literary and really encourage, mm -hmm. really encourage um, that kind of thinking. Yeah, and I think the physical environment um, is very evocative. Um, the, the mountains and the farms and the fourth seasons. And I think that um, there's a, uh, you can do a lot with place. Mm -hmm. um, All those little houses hidden yeah. in the woods. Yeah, the history, <laughs> yes. these little houses in these woods, the old stone walls that are kind of climbing up out of the mm -hmm. out of the landscape. Um, oh no! Now Megan's writing a book right here. Book. Yes, <laughs> it's going to involve old stone walls, definitely. Um, and also, um, you know, um, not, not to um, be talking about your mother a lot because we're talking about you, but she was also the spokesperson for our um, district attorney, correct? And um, so, obviously, very knowledgeable about crime and mm -hmm. and that kind of world. Did she? Did you go to her for some guidance on, around some of those topics? Um, not so much. My mom, thankfully, did not bring her work home too much oh, when yeah. it came to crime. Yeah. Um, but she certainly um, does have a lot of knowledge. And so even with the book that I'm working on now, there are questions um, that I will have for her just about sort of the legal ins and outs 
Um, so she's a great resource, but thankfully she didn't she didn't bring too much of her um, the stories from work home. <laughs> thankfully. Um, and you you mentioned the book you're working on now. Can you tell us anything about it, or is it too secret because it's a thriller? It's it's <laughs> still a little bit of a secret, mm-hmm. um, but it is also a psychological thriller. It has a little bit more horror in mm-hmm. it. Um, I'm I love horror, and the next book, while it sort of has the same tone, um, sort of like haunting thriller, psychological thriller tone. There's a little bit. I think it's scarier. Oh, okay. Dan. This is Dan. I have another question. When you were writing this book, The House in the Pines, did you know exactly the process you wanted to write the book from like beginning to end? Or do you start like sometimes in the middle and work your way backwards and frontwards? Like what's the process in writing it? The process was from front, you know, from the beginning to the end, but I didn't really have a clear sense of where it was going when I started. Um, I really built the story around the house itself. And um, so much of what came out of that first draft was a surprise. You know, it was characters surprising me, plots, twists that I hadn't seen coming. Um, So while the house was always there, a lot of it evolved as I wrote. So it never felt like like you knew exactly what it would be. But at the end, how did it make you feel when you finished it? Did you say, wow, I never expected that. I wonder where that came from. There was definitely a lot of little surprises along the way. Um, I think when I finished, I was just really excited to have written a book. I wasn't sure I could do it. (laughs) Um, So when I got to the end of the book, I just felt very um, relieved and and excited that I had done it. I didn't know if I was going to sell it or if it was going to go anywhere. But the New York Times mentioned (laughs) it. bookseller. So how did that make you feel like when you heard all that? That was just incredible. Um, I didn't know, I hadn't known that I was being considered for Reese's Book Club. So when I found out that I had been chosen, it was a complete shock and it's just very surreal. Did they yeah. call you? How does that work? Um, my editor called me and she said, can you jump on Zoom with me and your agent? And so I did, not having any idea. Oh, glad am I in trouble. <laughs> exactly. That was my, that was my <laughs> first thought was, oh, they're dropping me. <laughs> um, and when they told me, I was just like, what? Like, how, how yeah. did she even, how did they even get the book? <laughs> okay. Yeah, Anna, don't Reyes, know, now what you've done is really, you know, you're teasing us again. <laughs> I so loved your reading a few minutes ago, and I'd love to hear another reading from the book, just like you're going to do with the Odyssey this Thursday mm-hmm. at 7 o'clock. Tease us a little bit more with a reading, if you would. Yeah, can you do a couple? Maybe maybe just jump into the next page. Yeah, I'm going to jump into chapter one. (laughs) Um, It is going to talk a little bit about the central sort of, um, or not the central, the sort of the thing that sets everything in motion. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm going to stop after about a page because uh, I don't want to give too much away. Yeah, go for it. Um, Chapter one. Maya didn't know it yet, but the video had already begun to circulate on social media a grainy six-minute stretch of security footage that was strange and unsettling enough to garner several thousand views the day it went up, but not quite lurid enough to go viral, not ghastly enough to inspire repeat viewings. Not for most people anyway. But for Maya, its existence would upend all that she'd been building for herself these past few years, this sometimes sloppy but mostly solid life that she shared with Dan, who snored quietly beside her in bed. She hadn't yet seen the video because she was avoiding all screens, not wanting their blue light to keep her awake. She had tried everything to sleep, Benadryl, melatonin, counting backward from 100 down to 1, She had turned the clock around, taken a bath, and some cough syrup, but none of it helped. This was her third sleepless night in a row. She had moved in with Dan earlier this month and could easily draw off some memory the shape of every water stain on the ceiling, the branching lines of every crack. 
Lovely, yeah. lovely. Bill, did you have a question? Bill. We just had uh, poets mm -hmm. telling us about writing 30 poems in 30 days, mm -hmm. which makes me want to ask you, Anna Reyes, are you one of those writers who writes every day at a given time, or do you wait to feel inspired to sit down and make those words come out on the page? I write every day, and the truth is that I don't always sit down feeling inspired. <laughs> I wish I could be inspired on command. But for me, I really have to, to, to write every day. And when inspiration hits, that's great. But even if, you know, there are some days when um, I'm just kind of trying to, to move on to the next page, trying to get to the next chapter or the next scene. Um, and I think writing a novel is something of a marathon. Mm -hmm. um, I know writing poetry is is its own, um, you know, its own work, but I think that uh, it's not always possible to, to be inspired on command. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not. Um, and so um, we're speaking with um, Ana Reyes, who uh, will be at the Odyssey Bookshop on this Thursday, December 14th at 7 p.m. to talk about The House in the Pines, which has just come out in paperback. Um, and has been optioned for for television, although that's still in the early stages, correct? Yep. Yeah. Yes. Wow. So it was optioned by Gato Grande, which is a company, a production company in Los Angeles, as well as Mexico City. And what I really like about them is they do English and Spanish language productions. And I'm really hopeful uh, about what they're hopefully going to do with this. So one more time. Exciting. Where so can we see Anna? Um, at Odyssey Bookshop on Thursday, December 14th at 7. And she's going to be in conversation with Margot Duahi, another great thriller and crime writer. Yes. Um, and um, you can find out more on their website, odysseybks.com. Thank and you for you being here. you can buy at the Odyssey yeah. or at your local mm -hmm. independent bookstore. You can buy the house in the Pines um, by Anna Reyes, and we hope that you do. Thank you so much for joining us. Megan, thank you for having me. can't thank you enough for bringing oh, all these pleasure. brilliant writers always to us. Always fun. And we thank you, listeners, for joining us on Talk to Talk. Remember to walk the walk. Environmental nonprofit Ocean River Institute is working with communities to tackle climate change with nature-based solutions that feature slowing water down and building more soil with grasses and plants. Research indicates that people acting in their own neighborhoods can build an inch of soil in a year and slow sea level rise down by as much as 25%. Please visit OceanRiver.org for more information on opportunities to make a difference and go the distance for savvy stewardship of a greener and bluer planet Earth. Pets and people, they belong together. They help us feel calm and loved with every tail wag, kiss, and snuggle. Bacon Humane Society believes in this bond, and your support keeps people and pets together. You provide resources so animals with medical issues can get the care they need to find homes. Our pet food aid program lets people facing tough times feed and keep their pets because you care. Bacon's many programs and services help companion animals and the people who love them. To make a gift, visit BaconHumane.org. WHMP Northampton and WRSI HD2 Turner's Falls. 